Well, good morning and again to you. If you're joining us online, good morning to you as well. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up for the last time in Esther, Esther chapter 9. Now, before we get there, let me do a little bit of housekeeping. Tonight is our evening of thanks. We hope you can join us for that. We'll have uh, some uh, special guests, the pastor and his wife uh, from Creek, uh, Creekstone Church. Um, and they are going to be joining us uh, tomorrow, uh, tonight. Excuse me. We will not be serving a meal, but we'll be taking Lord's Supper together. We hope you can join us. It'll be about 45 minutes to an hour long, and we'll uh, be able to celebrate with them all that God has done. Unfortunately, their worship team was supposed to be with us, but last night, uh, several of their team members were in an accident. Uh, and they're okay, they're, they're safe, but uh, they won't be able to travel to be here. But we'll still worship together, hear a word uh, from Kaysen. And uh, then we'll uh, take Lord's Supper together. We hope you can come tonight at 5 p.m., all right? 5 p.m. Now, I don't know about you, but celebrating can sometimes be a challenge. This, uh, yesterday, really this whole week, we have celebrated one of my daughter's birthdays. And it seems like in this day and age, uh, we don't just celebrate on the day. We celebrate the day before, and then the day before that, and then the day before that. And to one degree or another, I still feel like we're celebrating her birthday. It's just what we do, all right? Now, I have the challenge, it's, it's, an own, it's my own personal quirk, okay? I, I have a hard time celebrating things because once I've accomplished something, I'm ready to move on to the next thing. I go, look, we did it, now let's move on. Let's go. Let's just do the next thing and we'll go from there. And I'll rarely forget, but five years ago, uh, I'd come out of my dissertation defense, which means uh, they look at your bibliography and they can ask you any question from any book that you've read which is terrifying. They can ask you any theological question that you might have insinuated within your paper, which was almost it was about 189 pages. So there, there's all these things that they're asking, and it's nerve-wracking. So I get out of this after several hours, and I go downstairs uh, to where Abby is, and she goes, well? And I'm like, where are we going to go to lunch? Because I'm hungry. And she says, no, 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 I need to find out, did you pass? Can we call you with a different name now? You know, do you have a different title? All these things. And it's like, yeah, I passed. Let's, what's for lunch? We going to somewhere? You know, I mean, fajitas or something. I want to celebrate. Maybe get queso. So anyway, we, we sit there, and she goes, no, no, time out, time out. We need, to, we need to capture this moment. And so it's one of my favorite pictures. I'm going to show it to you this morning just to give you an insight. So we, we stand in the rotunda at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and the girls just started running circles. And it really was after this moment, but it was in this moment that I realized that accomplishing something like this is not just an individual accomplishment. It took the whole family. My kids contributed. They sacrificed. Abby sacrificed more than anybody else. Uh, and she, you can talk to her later about that. But she sacrificed a ton. But it was in this moment that I realized there's something about taking a moment, celebrating together, remembering what God has done, and then moving forward to the celebration. And we see this today in the text in Esther chapter 9. There's been relief. There is now rest. Their enemy has been vanquished. The enemy has actually been removed. They're not at war anymore. And they actually take a couple of days and they throw the party to end all parties. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Esther chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 18 and read through the rest of the book. You go, oh my, that's okay. We want to work verse by verse. So here we are in chapter 9, verse 18. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with you. But if you're there, will you say word? But the Jews in Susa had assembled on the 13th and 14th days of the month. 
They rested. There it is. They rested on the 15th day of the month. And it became a day of, here it is again, feasting and rejoicing. This explains why the rural Jews who live in the villages observe the 14th day of the month of Adar as a time of rejoicing and feasting. It is a holiday when they send gifts to one another. I like those kinds of holidays. Mordecai recorded these events and sent letters to all the Jews in all of King Ahasuerus' provinces, both near and far. He ordered them to celebrate the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar every year because during those days the Jews gained relief from their enemies. That was the month when their sorrow, here it is, turned into rejoicing and their mourning into a holiday. They were to be days of feasting, rejoicing, and of sending gifts to one another and to the poor. So the Jews agreed to continue the practice they had begun as Mordecai had written them to do. For Haman, sent, uh, Haman son of Hamadatha, the Agite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them. He cast the purr, you remember that? That is the lot, to crush and destroy them. But when the matter was brought before the king, he commanded by letter that the evil plan Haman had devised against the Jews return on his own head, and that he should be hanged with his sons on the gallows. For this reason, these days are called Purim, from the word pur, because of all of the instructions in this letter, as well as what, has, what had witnessed and what had happened to them. The Jews bound themselves, their descendants, and all who joined with them to commitment, to a commitment, that they would not fail to celebrate these two days each and every year according to the written instructions and according to the time appointed. These days are remembered and celebrated by every generation, family, province, and city, so that these days of Purim will not lose their significance in the Jewish life and their memory will not fade from their descendants. Verse 29, Queen Esther, daughter of Abihel, along with Mordecai the Jew, wrote this second letter with full authority to confirm the letter about Purim. He sent letters with assurances of peace and security to all the Jews who were in the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus. In order to confirm these days of Purim at their proper time, just as Mordecai the Jew and Esther the queen had established them, and just as they had committed them and their descendants to the practices of fasting and lamentation. So Esther's command confirmed these customs of Purim, which were written into the record. Now chapter 10, here we go. King Ahasuerus imposed a tax. Boy, doesn't that sound like a holiday? Throughout the land, even to the farthest shores, all of his powerful and magnificent accomplishments and the detailed account of Mordecai's great rank with which the king had honored him, have they not been written in the book of historical events of the kings of Media and Persia? Mordecai the Jew was second, that's key, only to King Ahasuerus. He was famous among the Jews and highly esteemed by many of his relatives. He continued to pursue prosperity for his people and to speak for the well-being of his descendants. Now we come to the place where today we're going to see three things that Esther teaches us. Now, these are going to be also not just in this text today, but also highlighting the rest of the book. So in a way, we'll preach the entire book of Esther today for you this morning. Okay, the first thing we see is that Esther teaches us. Esther teaches us that we are to celebrate what God has done. We are to celebrate what God has done. We see this in this text that they went from lamentation and they went from pain and sorrow to now rejoicing, feasting, having a party. 
The Jews earlier, you remember when Esther asked the Jews to fast? Remember that? Fast for me while I go talk to my husband, the king. And may I have you know, mercy from him that I can call out the savior, saving of the Jews. But now they're not fasting. They're not abstaining from food and drink. They're now feasting. Now, when I think of a feast, I think of uh, on, that, the, on that tipping point of gluttony, but just not there. You're not going to sin, but you're, you're eating, and you're eating well. You're killing the fatted calf. You're having steak, right? Or if you're not in the steak, you're having a nice Caesar salad. There's just something that you're doing, but there was a sense of deliverance from their enemies. And when that deliverance had come, they rejoice. They celebrate. They throw a party. You can imagine the picture. They're non-distance hugging, right? They're not keeping six feet apart. They're, they're all in. You know, early on there were these buttons that said, if you're hugging, I'm hugging, right? If you're high-fiving, I'm high-fiving. And there's a sense where they weren't worried about social distance. They were hugging. They were fist-bumping. They were, someone said chicken-winging. I don't want to chicken-wing anybody. I want to eat chicken wings, but I don't want to, this is weird. Okay. But you can, you can imagine parents lifting up their kids and putting them on their shoulders and dancing in the, dancing, yes, even dancing in the streets, celebrating with tambourines and symbols and signs of relief and joy and happiness. It's a joyous time. And it's not just one day, but they're going to do it for two days. And Esther and Mordecai actually make it a law among all the Jews to just throw a party, a two-day party. You can imagine. You can imagine this similar relief took about, took place when in Exodus, the people of God are escaping from the hands of the Pharaoh. They're on the Red Sea and it's, it's dry where they walk and the second they step off, the waters come crashing down again onto the Pharaoh and all of those who are going to capture him and them. All of a sudden, their enemy is vanquished, in fact, drowning in that Red Sea. And here in Exodus 15, you actually see spontaneous worship take place. Thanksgiving and tears of joy and celebration and song ensue in Exodus 15. And you can imagine it's a similar experience here for those in Esther chapter 9 and 10. This is why I think just as an aside, gathering as the local church is so important. It is easy for relationships to become strained when you've lost contact with people, seeing others and embracing others in what is going on in their life. It's easy to feel disconnected and, and really become isolated in this season. And I would just encourage you, and we, we honor those who are in a physical place that they, they are worried about contraction. And we get that, and we are, we are understanding of that. It's why we provide online week in and week out. But there is something unique about the gathered church body where we can celebrate the rest and relief that Christ brings to the body of Christ. And when we gather, it's a celebration Yes, there are moments for lamenting, and we, we do lament when things are bad, and we mourn when things are bad, but there is a sense of we have something to celebrate today. We have something to be thankful for. And one of the ways, and one of the reasons we often forget to be thankful is because we forget God's goodness. In fact, we may look at this year and think of how awful it's been, but did you know you wouldn't know what good is unless the bad happened? If everything was always good, you would forget to thank God for what you have. 
The wisdom of Esther and Mordecai is that they want their people to never forget this moment. They want to commemorate the day. Commemorate not just one day, but the multi-day party. And I don't know about you, but I, I kind of like this idea of a multi-day party. Like, I don't want Thanksgiving food to just begin on Thanksgiving Day. I, I'm wondering, what are we doing on Wednesday? Let's talk about Wednesday, too. Now, we know that Friday we're going to eat all of th- Thursday's food, but I just want to know, what are we doing Wednesday, right? Jews had a reason to celebrate. They had a reason to celebrate because they had been saved. Haman, in his wickedness, had put out the lot to figure out when all the Jews would be removed, the some 15 million Jews from the Persian Empire. But they name it Purim to to give this idea that, hey, look, they thought it was going to be random chance, but here God is saying, I'm going to turn what you meant for evil and turn it for good. So let's celebrate then what God has done. Haman had cast the die, and it just so happened to land on this particular day at this particular time. God just so happens to reverse course for God's people and Their destiny was not bound up in luck, but is bound up in his inconspicuous providence. So the Jews needed to be reminded of this because how often have we forgotten significant things? And I know 2020 has been full of some interesting twists and turns, and it's easy to feel the weight of 2020, but there's been so much pivoting and turning and, and figuring things out, and it's caused relationships within even own families to be strained. But you know what? God is good. I mean, even this year at Rock Hill, we've seen 41 folks turn from death to life in a spiritual transition. They've they've been baptized this year. 41 people in the middle of all of 2020. All that's happened. Over $20,000 has been brought in to be sent out through benevolence ministries. And that's beyond our budget that people have given to. Some 69 new people have joined our church this year. Sure, I'd love for it to be twice or three times or eight times that, but even in the middle of not even being able to gather for several months, we've had that many people say, I'm wanting Rock Hill to be my church home. 55,000 pounds of food has been distributed through our Rock Hill Outreach Center. I think 10 or 15,000 of it was given away yesterday. It was so many people that came by. We've hired four new staff members and staff roles within the middle of all of this as needs have come up. We've, we've had 3,000 memory verses memorized in Awana. It's amazing what God has done in the middle of all of this. And it's easy to see how awful things have been. Just like they say, man, it was an awful 12 months that we were waiting for us to all die. But here he says, no, no, we're going to celebrate what God has done. The people of God are to shout triumphantly in what God has done. And we're going to do that tonight when we take the Lord's Supper to remind ourselves. That's what the Lord's Supper does. Remind ourselves of the goodness of the salvation that God gives. That's why tonight we're going to celebrate this church plant. As Kaysen shared with me on Friday, he, he said, you don't understand what the gifts of Rock Hill have done to sustain our fractured church body in 2020. You, by your contributions, your courageous generosity, have helped keep a predominantly African-American church alive. It's an amazing gift, and your investment matters. 
And we rejoice in that. And Mordecai, he wants them to remember that. And so they, they celebrate and they feast in that and they rejoice. And they, even those that are in the rural parts and in the city are all going to celebrate what God has done. But secondly, Esther teaches us that we're to faithfully steward our time. Faithfully steward our time. Do you remember in chapter 1, we didn't even meet Esther. <laughs> the book is named after her and we didn't even know she existed if you were just reading chapter by chapter. We're not even introduced to Mordecai yet, yet God has given them at this time in this place for, as you know, for such a time as this, God has placed them here, and he is working and orchestrating all these things. Why? Why? So they would steward their time well. James 4 says this, come now you who say, Today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like vapor that appears for a little while then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. One of the grave dangers for the Christian is to think that they're invincible. I'll have plenty of time to do that. I'll have time to write that letter or to pray or to call that loved one or to go see that loved one. If anything, this season of almost mandated Thanksgiving being canceled, and I've heard some media reports say Christmas is canceled. You can't cancel Christmas. Not on my watch. And so here, anyway, my point is, is that some of us think, well, tomorrow I'll do that. Esther and Mordecai could have said, well, tomorrow... Tomorrow I'll go talk to the king. Or next week. It's been a tough week for him. I've not talked to him for 30 days. What's 32? I don't want to disturb the king. That's not what Esther does. She rises up and she takes the step and she says, no, today is the day that I'm going to address him. And Ephesians 6 says this. Be and pay careful attention then how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19 says this, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. You are to make the most of the time you've been given. Esther and Mordecai made the most of the time they were given. They didn't hide in the corner and see maybe if somebody else would step up. They rose to the occasion. They stewarded their time well. And I, I'm going to say this. And I don't want you to take it the wrong way. But, but you need to know that we are living in the last days. But we've been living in the last days ever since Christ ascended into heaven. So I don't know the date and the time Jesus even said he didn't know, the Father knows. But I'm telling you, every day, every minute of every hour, we're another step closer to Christ returning. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Our friends aren't guaranteed tomorrow. Our neighbors aren't guaranteed tomorrow. Our close relatives are not guaranteed tomorrow. You have to make the most of the time you have been given. Pay attention then to how you walk. 
how you talk, how you live, what you do. For now is the time that God has given you to make the most of it. Like Esther and Mordecai, these were their only days of their lives. And I think sometimes the temptation for us is to imagine our life like a video game. Well, I got infinite lives. (laughs) I can just keep playing and keep restarting and keep restarting. And God says, no, you you got one shot at this. Make the most of it. Finally, though, Esther teaches us that the real hero in Esther is God. The real hero in Esther is God. It'd be far too easy for me to say, no, Esther's the hero. I mean, my my goodness, the book is named after her. But Esther and Mordecai are not the ultimate heroes. God is the ultimate hero. And as powerful as Esther has become, I mean, she's the queen. And as powerful as Mordecai, it even says he's the second in command. Notice, notice he's ultimately not in charge either. God is the hero. The pagan king is still in charge. We, we begin the book of Esther with King Ahasuerus in charge, and we, we end the book of Esther with King Ahasuerus in charge. The pagan king is still on his throne. But yet... We look at this book and we say, no, 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 God's, God's the hero. Even God not being mentioned, he's still the hero of this book. And as incredible as the deliverance for the Jews was, and it is incredible, as inconspicuous as the providence of God at work happens and unfolds, and it was really inconspicuous. God, God is still the one on the throne. In Revelation 19, 16, we read this, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the title given to Jesus. And even though the Jews had been rescued, and they had been, even though the Jews had been redeemed, and they had been, they were still under a wicked king's rule. More than this, they were still under the domain of sin and death. Even though they'd been delivered from their enemy, they still, they still were facing their own sin and their own death. Sure, the battle had ended for them, but eventually death came to them all, and death would come to their children, and death would come to their grandchildren. A greater victory was still needed. A greater victory was still needed for these Jews. Yes, they'd been delivered from Haman, but yes, they were still in a fight. You see, We understand as Christians that only through Jesus can you obtain this victory. Remember the Jews had gathered to fight with one another. They gathered together. And and yet we see Jesus who goes to the cross and all those who were closest to him had abandoned him. In fact, one even turned him in and others denied him. Jesus is alone on that cross as our substitute. The Jews had a governing officials rally around them. Do you remember that in chapter 9 that the They had gathered with them and fought for them. Well, for Jesus, Pilate washes his hands of him. And they execute a gruesome, painful death on Jesus alone on that cross. Jesus, though, alone is able to claim that victory. In 1 Corinthians 15, we read this. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Do you see that in verse 57? But thanks be to God who gives us what? The victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, 
immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor is not in vain. Jesus alone secures your victory, church. Your victory is not had by how hard you work. Your victory is not had by how much you get better. Your victory is secured through Jesus. The victory for the Jews, while it was real, it was temporary. The victory that Jesus provides is real and it's eternal. In Christ, he brings us liberation. In Christ, he brings us victory. In Christ, he is our substitute. In Christ, he ushers in a new era. And where the Son has set free, he is free indeed. There's no more oppressive king. There's no more oppressive government. There's no more oppressive tendencies. We are relieved of the pain. We are relieved of the catastrophe. How? God became a man, lived without sin, died your death, rose as your Savior, puts the Holy Spirit inside of you. He then gives you a new nature. Paul tells us that we are then now new creations. And for the Christian, earth is as closest to hell you will ever be. And if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, earth will be the closest to heaven you'll ever get. It's why we can walk out of here victorious, thankful to God that all that he's done and all that he's doing. The Jews had temporary victory, but in Christ we have eternal victory. You see, here's the deal. God is relentless. He never gives up the pursuit of his people and the care that he has. And when you begin to read the rest of the Bible, you understand that God wins. The middle can seem messy, and it is messy. The middle can seem discouraging, and it often is discouraging. But when you take a step back, you begin to realize God has been inconspicuously working all throughout these times, all throughout these seasons, and at the end of the day, God is the victor. It's why we can say, victory in Jesus. Victory in Jesus. He sought me, and he bought me. How? By his redeeming love. He loved me ere I knew him, and all of this is to him. He plunged me in victory. If there's anything for us to realize in the book of Esther is to realize that God is the hero of the Bible. It is a, it, sure, it has some things about you and me and for us, but it's about him. In the end, God's going to work everything out. I think sometimes we get discouraged and disenfranchised because we look at the present and go, oh, how is this going to work out? I'm so glad I don't have to have it figured out. He already has it figured out. We sing with our little kids. He's got the whole world in his hands. And I know it's a song for kids, but I think it's a song for adults. You got to know that God has all these things under his control. God has all these things under his wings. He is the Prince of Shalom, the Lord Jesus, and he will come again. And when he comes, he won't come as the defeated Jesus. He comes as the victor. He comes as the Savior. He comes as the King. He comes as the Lord of Lords who is worthy of worship today. 
So as they were celebrating Purim, the reality is that there's going to be a better and greater celebration one day in heaven. I know that the banqueting table at Thanksgiving is always spread and it's beautiful and it's lovely and it all tastes good every time. But when we get reunited with King Jesus when he returns, the banqueting table will be far better. We'll celebrate what God has done. The beauty of all this is that we begin to realize that all of this is fitting right in line with God's ordained plans. We can step back and be grateful for all that God is doing among us. It's why even tonight, when we take the Lord's Supper, it's a sign of remembrance for us to know what Christ has done for us. My favorite text in the Bible is Luke chapter 24. I call it the greatest Bible study ever. Jesus is walking along the path with some disciples, but they don't recognize him. Jesus has resurrected, but they don't recognize that it's actually Jesus. And Jesus is sharing with these disciples who are having questions. And it says that Jesus is relaying how all of these stories throughout the Bible really pointed to him. Yes, Esther, in this book, God is not named. But when we look back on it, we see God was at work. And in your life today, you may feel like God is absent and has given up on you. But you need to know today, he has not. He's always working. He's always moving. But drawing individuals to himself and even you today. But if you're in this room and you've never trusted in Christ, you may say, well, that doesn't apply to me. And you're right. But when you trust Christ with your life, admit your sin, believe that only through Jesus you can be saved, and confess him as Lord, it becomes part of your story. And God takes the hardship and the pain and shows you how he's been leading you to himself this whole time. And he always receives those who repent of their, of their sin and believe only through Jesus they can be saved. Maybe online today, if you just email info at rockhillbc.com, we want to connect with you. If you want to trust in Christ today, or maybe you're in this room today and you've never trusted in Christ. Now for many of you, you've heard the gospel multiple times communicated in a message. And many times we just tune out. I'm a Christian, I don't need to hear this anymore. But can I just tell you that the gospel is not the door, but it's the whole path. When you're reminded of the gospel, it keeps you steadfast, immovable, fulfilling the work that God has for you. It's why you need the gospel every Week, and not just every week, every day, and often multiple times. So as we look at the, the book of Esther, may we realize, may we realize that we are to celebrate some things, we're to steward our time well, but we're also to see how God is the hero of this book. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you now, and Lord, we're grateful for all that you've done. God, there's some in this room that need victory. They've been trying to have victory on their own, but Lord, today you say, I provide the victory. And so God, help us to be submissive to that. Lord, if there's somebody in this room that needs to trust in you, that they would be bold enough to walk forward and confess that. Or maybe there's somebody in this room today who just needs to lay all of their burdens down. Would they be ever so willing to do that same thing? Or maybe somebody wants to just come forward and pray. May there be no shame in that. Or maybe at their own seat, they pray, 
Maybe for others in this room as they sing, that's their, that's their response to you. So Lord, help us in this moment. It's in Jesus' name we pray.